Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is greatness to see all of your smiling faces. Now, this week, we are interrupting your regular scheduled podcast here at Wits Up, uh, and we have teamed up with Helen Murray from the Inside Try Show to bring you a series titled The Healthy Body. We are taking a deep dive into body image, disordered eating, and eating disorders. So this episode is part two of the series. If you, and I highly recommend that you should, uh, want to listen to part one, you need to head on over to the Inside Try Show. Just look them up on whatever podcast platform that you use. Uh, make sure you subscribe to their podcast as well. Leave a comment, any feedback, uh, both Helen and myself greatly appreciate. Uh, while you're at it, make sure you have subscribed to the Wits Up podcast. Leave a comment as well and a rating. We really appreciate all the feedback that you guys can give us. Uh, that is plenty from me as we have got a lot to unpack from part two of the healthy body. Uh, so let's get stuck into it. Welcome back to part two of the Healthy Body, which is a podcast series between the Inside Try Show and ourselves here at Wits Up. We are taking a look at body image, eating disorders, and disordered eating. It was just never, ever spoken about. My poor mom was in tears every day trying to get me to eat. People would starve themselves on rides. I started to see this trend where I could get lighter and I'd start to perform better. Peculiar behavior happened in the dinner. The coach singled me out in front of the whole cross-country team to point out how lean I looked, and he meant it as praise. I was amenorrheic. Had next to no sex drive. 11 stress fractures. Developed chronic insomnia. I didn't have my period for 12 years. It's just bloody horrible, to be honest. It was just onerous, the amount of restrictions I applied. I very much separated food into what was good, healthy food and what was bad food that was off limits. It just took that little mindset to spiral with a driven person. There's been so much heartache with issues that I'll never forget them. Let's take a look back and recap part one. I had a really overly restrictive diet, so I was very strictly vegetarian at the time. And I still follow a pretty vegetarian diet, but back then it was just onerous, the amount of restrictions I applied. Um, I also would do some things that's pretty typical of eating disorder behavior, like always using the same small bowl or the same small cup or something, and you know, being disturbed by large plates. So some really, in retrospect, unusual kind of disturbing tendencies around eating and food. I went to healthy, and then healthy became, all right, well, let's eat less. So it was healthy food now less 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 and more 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 training less 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 food in this order to I don't know what was in my head but um to win at at whatever I was doing weight and the way I look it's so stupid because it doesn't necessarily correlate with performance at all no. like and I don't want to come I don't want to come across because I'm definitely not one of those people that you know is obsessed with weight and stuff but I it definitely um, yeah, has been one of the, I wouldn't say challenges. It's not really a challenge, is it? But it's definitely one of the thoughts that consumes me probably more than anything else. I think body image and disordered eating is a lot more common than 
people think. And it's something that I haven't talked about uh, for the last 12 or 18 months because it is uh, scary to talk about. Um, but I've decided just recently that I'm, I am going to talk about it now moving forward because it is a lot more common than people think. We've had a lot of feedback from part one, and it's right now that I would love to welcome to the podcast platform, Helen Murray from the Inside Try Show. Welcome. Hey, Steph. How are you? Yeah, the feedback's been insane so far. My phone hasn't stopped dinging. It's been, I mean, tell us exactly why you wanted to do it. Uh, And I think the last three days has been proof that that decision was one of the best decisions you've made. So it was after speaking to Renee Kiley uh, late last year and she started to talk about a little bit about body image, but I actually asked a bit deeper about body image and how her relationship with food and body image had changed after she had lost so much weight after working in the city and having quite an unhealthy lifestyle to then becoming a professional triathlete and yeah she really really opened up and said it's something that she really struggles with and just the way that she spoke the way that she trusted me Mm. but also her words I was just like, you're not alone. I guarantee you are not alone, but people don't talk about it so much. So then I thought, right, I need to do something more on this. Let's see. We wanted to work together. Mm. Let's see if Steph's up for it as well. And that is how it began. And I, I wanted to speak to, yes, professionals, but also an age grouper. I wanted to make sure that we spoke to males as well. So Cody Beals was on the podcast last week and Felicity Joyce, who you interviewed as well. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like, like we said, the feedback has just been phenomenal and is, is proof that people want to listen to these kind of stories, but proof that there's people out there who need help or are asking for help, but don't, don't even know where to start. Um, I think you got some feedback that, you know, we'd love to share just a a couple of of comments that we've received. Yeah, definitely. So a mum said, I really enjoyed it. It reminded me of when my son was training to be a cage fighter. I mean, heck, it really resonated with, yeah, really resonated with her. Um, I've had some professionals getting in touch saying, you know, brilliant Mm. work. I'm not comfortable with my body. Um, this is so important that people talk about it. Um, and then I had other people reaching out and saying one person in particular uh, said that she never knew that other people within triathlon struggled with body image. I thought I was the only one, she said. And so messages like that make you realize, actually, it is so important that we get this stuff out there. So then people don't feel alone and feel comfortable to talk about it or just realize no I'm not a freak mm, absolutely I, I think um I don't know I, I I think we we discussed I can't remember if we actually discussed it on air or not uh but we have definitely had the conversation that if one person is affected by this discussion that we're having uh if one person's life could change by these discussions, then we'll be stoked with that outcome. And from the outpouring of um, messages, um, gratitude from everyone um, has just been 
just been phenomenal. It's it's gone above and beyond my expectations. I thought one in particular really I thought she put it so well. So it came from a, a professional who again messaged me on uh, on Instagram and and said and I thought this is just brilliant. She said it's so good to talk about it. I believe it's a bit like mental health. Every athlete is on the spectrum of healthy and unhealthy somewhere and it moves along at, at different points of life and career. But that's okay. Normalizing mental health lows and highs. It's the same as normalizing issues around control of eating habits. Wow. I was like, that is wise word. She summed that up. And then someone else, Steph, uh, again, reached out on um, Instagram. And she actually mentioned the the timing of putting this podcast out. And initially, when we were going to do it, I don't know, maybe it was sort of February time. And then it, it got pushed back to March. And then it just seemed so so wrong to put it out two months ago when everything else was going on in the world but then once the initial kind of madness and an awfulness of coronavirus has, has died down a bit actually people their training has changed a little mm. bit and habits are different and and she said you know I I had struggled previously and I had been feeling in a really good place. However, over the last few weeks since isolation and coronavirus, my normal training pattern had been disrupted. And then she said, I found old thoughts coming into my mind. And after realizing, after listening to your podcast, I realized there are issues that will probably never leave me, but I'm now in a place where I can recognize them and try to address them. Wow. So good. Oh, gives me goosebumps. I, yeah, it makes me so happy to know that we're we're managing to 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 reach out and and affect these people. Um, I I had one message that I don't know. It also makes me tear up a little bit because you know these are very personal stories and people are willing to share. Obviously, the people who are on the podcast, but then everyone who's commenting. Uh, and one of the messages that I got sent was. Um, it definitely hit home when you said something about your mum crying. So this is referring to Felicity Joyce's story. Um, your mum crying and asking you to eat. And obviously she's going through some uh, issues with her daughter um, or his daughter. I'm not too sure if it was a male or a female. Thankfully she's not that bad yet and we're addressing it early, but it's been really stressful, tiring and impacting on all of us. But she's gained three pounds last week, so fingers crossed we can stay on track. Um, and I don't know if it's because I am a mum and it was something that I spoke to Jody, which we'll hear very soon about as well, about the conversations that she'll be having with her kids over time, um, that it's a – you know, in the world of, I guess, social media, especially, it's a scary kind of place to be bringing up kids, boys or girls. Yeah, totally. And it's, I think the fact that the conversations are out there and the likes of Jodie, who we're going to hear from, and Renee last week and, and Cody are all willing to speak out. I think, yeah, it's just that idea of reassurance, mm, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of Jody, uh, we're we're about to uh, to play Jody's interview. Uh, my chat with Jody 
I actually spoke to her about this quite a few years ago uh, and I was taken by surprise when she opened up that much with me. It was actually quite a turning point in my career as a journalist uh, in w- with what I was trying what I do try and achieve with wits up uh, and I think a lot of it came down to the fact that she trusted me with her story um, and I feel like that is such an honor and I know you feel the same. But it's it's such an important part of this this entire story is the the trust um, in other people when you do tell a story and I feel like that is missing for a lot of people they don't know who to turn to and they don't know who to trust. I think that is a key element the not knowing who to turn mm. to, but hopefully hearing from any of these people will just plant. It's a bit, I don't know, almost like a helping mm. hand and say, no, it's okay. Yeah. There will be someone that you can trust definitely. and someone that you can turn to and talk definitely, to. Definitely, definitely. Should we crack on and uh, have listened to Jodie's chat? Let's do it. I was a sort of high school star sports-wise. I was racing for Great Britain, um, swimming and running from the age of like 12 through to 16. My results tailed off. I had glandular fever. And um, I think that I finally sort of, my body caught up on itself and I finally hit puberty at the age of sort of 17. I think that that was the beginning of thinking about food. Um, There was a few remarks from some coaches that I trained under, just that my body had changed shape, which was blatantly obvious, to be honest. As it does when you go from being a child to a woman, it was either taken by me quite extremely or it wasn't managed in the right way. But that that was probably the start. It got worse and worse, um, definitely up to sort of 2003, 2004. That was the real horrible stages of it. And then just stayed with me because it wasn't treated properly. I wasn't willing to address it for the further six years after that. 2003 and four, how old were you then? Uh, The Athens Olympic were in 2004 and I was 20 two I think that was the tail end of it that was the um, repercussions of cutting out food basically and purging and draining my body of minerals um, before that so I would get repetitive injuries from 2000 to 2004 which looked like I just got injured all the time but there was a reason why I got injured all the time and that was because of my eating disorder and when you say you were purging, was that a case of my body doesn't look right, I need I, I need to, you know, become race fit, that kind of mentality? What was the actual, um, I, don't know. I guess, motivator? I, don't, I can't pinpoint it. I don't know. I can't separate um, the two sides of my life where as a teenage girl, um, your body image is so important Mm. and body image in the media is so important and then race results where generally it's thought the thinner that you are the faster you you are the better that you look that all merges into one for me it's really difficult for me to ascertain whether it's performance or aesthetic reasons I can't I can't and I'm not sure that anybody actually can but certainly I entered triathlon with an eating disorder that only got worse, but it wasn't managed properly 
at the time where I entered triathlon, it was such a bang. Um, we just let, left to carry on. And I've seen it many times um, with other athletes in similar situations, young athletes that clearly have an eating problem, produce some results, and it just gets um, brushed under the carpet quite blatantly in quite a few cases that I've seen. And it's, it's right. kind of sad when people drop out of the sport. I was lucky that I recovered, but yeah. if there was a way to sort of address it in the right way at the right time, you'd probably get a lot better athletes with a lot longer longevity, I think. And when you say you recognised athletes who were, I guess, going through similar struggles to you, were they telling you or you just picked up on particular signs? And if so, what, what were they? They weren't telling me because we were trying to get onto the same teams, um, racing each other. It's a very secretive sort of conditions to have that both anorexia and bulimia are very secretive um, and, and sometimes yeah. actually kind of not obvious to the person that has them. Yeah, There's a lot of denial, but I would say it wasn't just obvious to me. It was obvious to everybody around. Their camps where peculiar behaviour happened in the dinner environment it was just never ever spoken about people would starve themselves on rides not eat anything on a six-hour ride you know and or all day yeah. it was actually quite depressing and prevalent in in certain camps that I went on quite hard to ignore and actually probably put me back a little bit in my own recovery Looking back now, would you like someone to approach you about this or is it something that, you know, that old sort of saying is you, you could only help yourself type of thing or do you feel like there needs to be almost mentors or, you know, safe places for, for athletes to go to where they can potentially seek help? I think it's really difficult. I think that especially if you're winning races and you're, the alpha mm. um, female in a scenario and you're you're the one winning races if someone that's not winning races come up to you and and addresses the issue I don't think that's necessarily going to be taken on board unless you're unhappy with a situation and you're not in denial then it's not going to be admitted um, and the other yeah. thing is if the wrong people approach the subject in the wrong way which happened with me a few times it just makes it worse you need to have real really good professionals that are almost detached from the performance basis that can approach athletes with concerns with help and there's no like judgment which would be really difficult in mm. a team team environment because there's always a funding issue and there's always guidelines and performance markers that you have to hit so I think it's really hard really difficult um, if it's nipped in the bud I think that's probably the best phase to stop it but coaches and especially development coaches they're they're not going to be as clued up as they perhaps need to be in terms of eating disorders why would they be and it's really hard to stop the spiral beginning if somebody gains success when they have an eating disorder because um, if you recover from an eating disorder, disorder you're, in, you're probably going to put on the dreaded weight um, 
and that mm. might have a marker on your performance. So I think it's it's really difficult once once it's set in to change anything um, quickly um, without causing mm. a lot of upset. I was looking back through an article that we actually published quite a few years ago and to this day it's still one of the most hit articles uh, that Witsup's ever uh, published and there was there's a quote in there that you wrote I'm just going to read it out I think it sums up things really well you've just said it's important to ascertain that vanity probably isn't ever the cause of a sustained serious eating disorder even if it looks that way these diseases are ugly and use the symptom of weight to disguise bigger more complex issues usually relating to low self-worth is that something that you that really still resonates with you yeah, I still believe what you just read out, but um, I don't have low self-worth anymore. Um, so that doesn't resonate, <laughs> resonate with me. But yeah, I definitely, there was definitely something off as I grew in my sporting career with self-esteem. But I don't know if it is something part of me that I would have had it without sport, um, whether it was something that, you know, it was in my genetic makeup that I have low self-esteem. And especially growing up in the 80s, there wasn't like, it, there wasn't much mm. psychological nurture in it in, back in those days. You just kind of got on with it. And, um, you know, my parents weren't experts in elite sports, raising an elite sports person. So just like any parent is an expert in raising daughters in any way in in you know, in any environment, um, it's hard to know what's going to influence them in negative ways and what what you shouldn't expose them to. But um, I, maybe I read too many magazines on poolside, I don't know. Um, maybe women were objectified far too much in the media. Um, it was kind of like the wafy era that I was, I was brought up in. It's kind of different now. I see a lot of different things now, and I don't know if it's as prevalent now, but... Um, Definitely, I had low self-esteem um, that I blamed on my body that I think was kind of exaggerated by sports emphasis on your body as well. Um, I don't know if it would have presented itself differently if I wasn't a sports person. I can't answer that question because I always have mm. had sport in my life. Do you, I don't think we can, and correct me if I'm wrong, we can fully say that you are fully recovered from disordered eating. Is that a fair statement or do you feel like there is no issues anymore? I, no, I don't have any eating issues anymore. Um, but that is as, as a product of probably the past six years, more, a little bit more than that, probably seven years Having a brilliant relationship, having supportive people around me, mm. making good judgments, judgment calls, um, recognizing and reflecting a lot about what's actually real that's put out there and what isn't. Being honest about everything also really helped in terms of that. I mean, I've just given birth to twins. Um, I hate my body right now, but I have the utmost respect for it. It's produced... Mm food for twins plus a top before that it's carried six kilo of baby 
at one time, so at, for 38 weeks. So I think I can I can frankly say that there isn't any issues there anymore with eating. But there's been so much experience um, and heartache with issues that, you know, I'll never forget them and I'll never forget what they made me feel like. Yeah, it's interesting that you say you, you're not loving your body but you respect it after everything that it's done with having children. But on top of that as well, with everything that you have achieved in your triathlon career as well, do you see it sort of in the same way that you've made your body do some amazing things? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. In in a healthy way as well and, and looking, mm. looking healthy and, and maintain my body and being honest about it as well at the same time. I... I think the the kind of disordered eating thing was left in my sort of ITU career, to be fair. And as I moved into longer distance, and certainly Ironman, I would never have been able to do those races and the training and remain relatively uninjured if, if there'd have been any any problems there. And, and you see it very often that the athletes that stick around in the sport usually are quite sound in terms of nutritionally... Mm. Um, balanced and not too extreme but saying that you'll get a superstar for a couple of years that isn't so balanced and goes ahead and wins everything and then disappears off the radar with injury so mm. I think I think that's mainly in the shorter distances um um because it's a very intense kind of uh, the rise is very quick um Whereas in the longer distances, the rise takes much more time and it needs a lot more consistency and actual mental maturity as well. So I think there's a, a slight mm. difference in the different areas of triathlon. I, I want to go back to to parenting and I'm really interested to, to hear your thoughts around the language that you use with your kids. And even though the twins are six months and, and Jack isn't isn't three yet, the reason I bring this up is Brett said to Frankie the other day, you know, we were doing the whole, where's your eyes, where's your ears, where's your nose? And then he said, where are your beautiful legs? And I, I, I pulled him up on it and I said, can you say beautiful, strong legs? Like I don't just want beautiful to be the descriptive word, you know, and explain why. And he totally took it on board. And I certainly make those kind of mistakes every day with my language and I'm trying to, to rectify that. Do you approach it with, with your kids this a, a similar kind of way? Are you really cognizant of the language you use around them? Yeah, I guess I, I'm pretty full on about it, to be honest. Um, more so with Jade, but the, just everyone calling her pretty. Just It's a really nice thing to say and everything, but that's like just the last thing that I associate with her that is, you know, the least important thing, really. Yeah, she's she's gorgeous, mm. yeah. But she's jumpy, she's vibrant, she's excitable, she's a little bit mad. And those are the <laughs> things that I would say about her. That's what I think about when I think of her when I'm talking to you about her. I'm certainly not her eyelashes. But in the same respect, I never want to, like, not tell her that she's pretty. But the only thing that you can... I don't think you can screen every single word you use. I don't think you can screen every word anybody else uses but I think that you can just 
completely come back to the, what you want her to believe is important and you keep a, a constant thread of that through her growing up years. I don't know how. It must be really difficult. <laughs> it's certainly a minefield out there, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I, I'm stressed out about social media already. If I'm vulnerable to social media posts, like I, I basically just delete anyone that puts a, a sort of like a, a picture that I think is inappropriate up. I just don't follow them anymore. I'm just like, that's nothing to do with performance. I'm not interested and I'll, I'll just unfollow them. But if that affects me with what I've achieved and what I've learned and what I've endured with the eating disorder, how are you expecting yeah. like a 10 year old to deal with it? I just, it, it frightens me. Yeah, hopefully it's uh, it does a full circle and is gone again uh, by the time. Maybe it'll become unpopular, like untrendy, maybe. Yeah. To tell maybe everybody they'll... how great you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll they'll turn up to school and say, "Hey, did you did you see this paper thing? It's it's a magazine that's got lots of words in it. Uh, yeah, you know, not just pictures. <laughs> and an article more than two minutes. Yeah." Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously coaching and parenting are different but there would be similar processes in because you're coaching uh, you and James have just launched your coaching business maybe a couple of months ago how much do you take of what you've learnt uh, about disordered eating and body image into your approach with your athletes I try and take a lot without pushing it. Um, I don't mm. want it to become an issue by me pushing it. I just want um, complete clarity that honesty is the best policy with everything. So in the initial interview, I'll ask, is there a problem? If I suspect there might be, I'll monitor the reply and um, make a judgment call if I can, if I think I can help that person with coaching or not. It's really difficult to coach someone with an eating disorder. Coaching me back in those days must have been almost impossible because you're not working with performance. You're working on so many things that are affecting that person's day other than performance. There was one stage where I was recurring back to bulimia because I had an abusive boyfriend and still trying to make the Olympic team Imagine like all the complete levels that turn up at that, uh, that that run session in the evening. It's not fair on the athlete. It's not fair on the coach either. So um, I would probably try and explain that to someone that had a real problem and came to me. The other factor is that I'm coaching most of my athletes are over 25. So I think that there's a level of um, maturity there that and honesty and experience, whereas I would be more cautious about the issue with the younger the younger people males as well but primarily females I, I think that that sort of young adulthood to the mid-20s is a really difficult period but of, often that's the time where they're excelling as well so it's, that's why it's mm. so I think it's why, why it's such a big deal in ITU because the athletes are slightly younger as well. If you could go back to that, that teenager who was excelling um, and I guess before or maybe when you got glandular fever, is there anything you could say to that uh, young adult that you think 
could have helped her back then? Yeah, I think the I would take the importance out of the results that year. Like I thought that because I couldn't race or I was going, you know, 10 seconds slower on my 400 IM time or whatever, that it was the end of my career. I, I would never win another race ever again and that my body was a different shape and that was it. But the fact is your body's a different shape because you've got different hormones because you're turning into a woman, not a child. And that woman might actually swim faster than the child in time. It's not that important, one single race result, one single illness, one single training session. If you need to take time out and reassess to live a balanced life, I would do that. If it has to be two years, I would do that. But there's such urgency with um, elite youngsters that I think that that kind of exacerbates the problem. I would go back to myself and just say, hey, slow down a bit. You don't have to do everything mm. before the age of 18. But I guess hindsight's a great thing. <laughs> and I don't know if I would have listened. I don't know if I would have listened at all. But And that was probably one of the reasons why I was really good, that I didn't really listen to much opinion. But I, think, I would hope I would listen to the right one, but I don't know. Um, your head's in the middle of like... A sort of like bomb that's and it's all swirling round because that's what eating disorders do as well they I think they slowly rot your reason um they warp your reason uh, and I mm. think it's really difficult unless unless there's sort of like a very very honest relationship from the start with someone that can that can sort of pinpoint the problem and um just stop it growing so so with that all that being said how how important do you think and like i said at the start you have been very open about this um i mean since ever since i've known you how important is it to be discussing these kind of things on podcasts in interviews um not not just you obviously anyone uh on the on the off chance that maybe a a young athlete is struggling and can hear um, some rhyme or reason within what what we speak about. Well, there's always, I mean, there's always a chance that someone's on the right, the pivot of change. Someone that has had enough because it's it's really really tiring to maintain a sporting training regime when you're not fueling your body properly, you're not recovering. It's not fun. It's a, a toil. It's if there's someone that's on that pivot and recognises what they're doing and is ready to start start admitting it and make a change and be ready that, to make big changes in their life that might be scary but will be better, it will be better and it will improve and increase the chance of increasing the time that you spend in sport, then I think it's really important to discuss it. On the other hand someone deep in the middle of it creating success believing that it's a normal a normal train of thought they're not going to listen and and probably Mm. roll their eyes and bury their head a bit more in the sand and I've definitely been in that phase myself and I get it but people are always changing and evolving and I think that to me as an old woman of sport I think health is far more important (laughs) than 
a mm. few kilos and I've had amazing results in the back end of my career where I wasn't making myself sick and I wasn't starving myself. Steph, the stuff about being on camp, I couldn't even... I, that, that was one thing. I, I just remember thinking, blimey, if you're on camp and you're in that environment, heck. But I think one of the really, really interesting points from Jodie was about increasing the time that you spend in the sport. And others had said this as well about, you know, there'd be some athletes who would sort of rock up on the scene, be amazing for a couple of years, but then mistreat their body and fizzle out or you just don't really hear from them or their career ends due to industry no injury (laughs) uh yeah it's so true and I mean even Jodie said she's recognized um those warning signs in others who I guess are in the height of getting the results and things are going gangbusters and they can treat their body you know in a certain way for a short period of time but she, she. Another reason why she wants to share her story is she wants to be able to reach out to these people and hopefully stop or slow down that process, which is, and I think one of the most used words in all of our chats is the spiral. Yep, massively. And and if if by listening to this, then you know you you can perhaps stop a moment, look at yourself, look at the bigger picture, and think what what are what are you doing to your body is this longevity is are you going to be crashing and burning um yeah I just think I could listen to Jodie all day long I was just about to say the exact same thing she what I find actually fascinating about the time that I actually interviewed her was she's got twins who are under the age of one and a toddler running around as well I think it was maybe 8 30 at night when I actually spoke to her uh because it was the only time she had five seconds but her she's so calm when she talks about it even though there's a thousand and twenty things going on in the background no doubt she she's just so eloquent and incredible with words and and I think as well because she perhaps because she has had the time and she is in so much of a better place now than when she was when she had the struggles but you know even in the the intro and her words at the very very end which were because of all the the difficulties and the horribleness of what she went through she said it it never totally totally leaves you like what happened even though she said she's so much better in terms you know she doesn't have an issue now if she had an issue as she said she would not have three kids under three sort of thing her body would not have allowed her to have to have children absolutely and um talking when you were talking earlier about the mental health side of things and she touches on that as well she's in a much happier place um in her in her life uh and that's you know in a large part to do with her relationship with with James as well she's a much happier person which means everything else seems to slot uh, into into a happier place as well, and that's what Cody and Renee Kylie mm-hmm. both touched on as well. That actually, and you said as well, that's in in the first episode that when everything's going fine, they don't even think about food. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a, a so much there that 
it all relates, doesn't it? And and I think we said last week it's like the big the big um jigsaw mm. as of life. Um shall we listen to our second interview, Steph? I would love to, and I'm so glad that Rini had the time to to chat to you because I think it's great that we get to share these stories, these personal stories, uh, but then to get an expert in as well who backs up, you know, everything that these people are saying and she, you know, she 100% confirms all of these facets of body image, disordered eating, eating disorders, and she also educates us a little bit more on, uh, I guess, the terminology and the correct, the correct terminology. Massively. Okay, let me tell you a tiny little bit about Rini McGregor. So she's a leading sports and eating disorder specialist dietitian. She's got 20 years experience working in clinical and performance nutrition and with a load of Olympic teams as well. Since last year, our referrals have gone up fivefold. Wow. But is that because more people are talking about it? More people are coming to you more people are hearing about you and how you might be able to help I think so I mean I think obviously because we are getting more athletes speaking out about their problems it's becoming a little bit more mainstream and it's becoming more accepted to go oh actually I think I have got a problem and I need to do something about it is there a difference between say the elite level and there are so many people like me like other people listening who are passionate age groupers is 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 one group more affected than the other would you say that's a quite an interesting question I think it depends like my colleague Dr K would say that actually the recreational group are probably more at risk than the elite group because with the elite group you have a team generally around you that could pick up and support however what I would say is that it does depend on the support you have within the elite group because I've got a number of elite athletes that I work with who have got a team but their team are pretty clueless in what's going on for them and they're they're also very very performance driven so they're not really taking into consideration the athlete's long-term health because it's just not something that's right important right now for them. And where does body or how does body image come come into it all? The body is a really interesting kind of question. That whole body image thing is a really interesting question. There's, there's so many different aspects to it. So I'll try and explain try and explain what's going on. So obviously, firstly, depending on the severity of restriction and what's you know what's been going on, uh, obviously one thing to remember is that disordered eating, excessive exercise, there's a there's a purpose to why people do it. it it's not as simple as someone's gone on a diet and it's gone wrong because I think that's what a lot of people think or, or it's a kind of pursuit for thinness as such it's often a pursuit for being better and you know athletes tend to be perfectionist mindsets and while a perfectionist mindset can be very useful to a certain degree in terms of motivation and being driven if it's not managed well it can also be your Achilles heel because it's also the the part of you that keeps cracking the whip and never lets you be okay with where you're at. So no matter how many results you get that are great, no matter how lean you might get, no matter you know how many sessions you might smash, it's never enough. You're always thinking about the next step and the next way of pushing. And so there's there's almost no upper limit. And so if you don't learn to manage that, then 
then that's kind of what starts to create these disordered ways of thinking because if you don't feel good enough if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people that's uncomfortable and so what we know is through restrictive eating practices through training we numb these feelings momentarily and that's why they become some they become behavior that becomes quite ingrained because if you restrict your eating and you're numbing those uncomfortable feelings then that's like okay i feel a little better for a bit and then when you're not training and when you're eating a little bit better and, you, and those uncomfortable feelings return, you're like, oh, what do I do? Because I don't like it. It's almost like that need for control, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and so body image is kind of all tied into this in the sense that when we don't feel good about who we are, if we can't see ourselves in a positive light, we're never going to see ourselves in a positive light physically. The brain and the physical body are all connected. Like you can't affect one part of you and not expect to affect another part of you. And I think this is where people get completely they completely mis misconceptions around what an, what an eating disorder a disordered eating is because you know when we restrict our intake and we overtrain we affect our physical being by affecting for example hormones being produced and hormones are really important for training adaptation but hormones are also really important for the brain working so it's all connected right and and i think that's like something that's really important to to get across and so with body image, there's the whole, if you don't feel good about yourself, you're not going to see yourself in a positive light and you won't see what everybody else sees. But at the same time, if you are so restrictive that you've affected your um, hormones and so you're not maybe producing testosterone and estrogen and in the right quantity. So, you know, women that would cease or at least periods would become more erratic or they would, um, you know, they would stop altogether and in men, testosterone levels drop quite significantly if you don't have enough of these in, in the in the system, then you don't produce growth hormone, which means you don't get your training adaptation. So it doesn't matter how much how much you train, you won't get the body composition goals that you're looking for. And actually, in sometimes it can do the opposite because the body's in so much stress and cortisol that the stress hormone is so high, it actually makes you hold on to more body fat than lose body fat. And I think the other thing to understand about body body composition and body image particularly is that when someone does struggle with their sense of self, so if you have grown up in an environment where you have constantly been pushed or you have constantly felt that need to push yourself, you've never felt enough, you've always felt you had to prove yourself, prove your worth, prove your being. And, you know, what that means is that often you've disconnected from your body so your body becomes the vessel in which you you try to transfer all that onto mm. so you know when people who are self-assured and comfortable and content their body is part of who they are like they don't use their body as a, as a way of attaining worth or attaining achievement but in people that struggle with low self-esteem and, and issues their body becomes the subject of um, how to attain self-worth and so again it comes back down to you might have a great physique for an athlete but if you're not comfortable being yourself you won't be able to visually see that are there any simple ways to help improve your own body image yeah i mean so some of the exercises i use with individuals is um, one of the key ones we look at is actually the functionality of the body as a kind of very first stage is like, let's look at the functionality of the body. So for example, if someone comes in and says, I really don't like my legs, 
you're like, okay, but what do your legs do for you every day? And in an athlete, it's great because that you know it's helping them train, it's making them run, it's making them cycle, it's you know whatever it might be. So that's one kind of task, one sort of exercise that we do. But then the other one is kind of helping people to realize that the physical aspect of what they see is that you, you question it. So I've got I've got um I've got a young athlete at the moment and her stomach is her her main feature. She focuses on it constantly. And so we went through this this exercise of okay, well well why is that important? And she's like, because people will laugh at me. I was like, right, which people will laugh at you? And she's well, everybody, if I go out, I can't go out because my stomach is is so big, people will, will point at it and laugh at me. And I was like, right, okay. So where has has that actually happened to you? No, that's not happened to me. Okay, so so that's an assumption you have made. Okay, so is an assumption real? And and you see where I'm going with this? Like yep. you have to you have to challenge them because what happens is again when you have a restricted mindset when you have been affected by disordered eating and overtraining it you become irrational and you often make assumptions fact and because you repeat these assumptions again and again and again they become your belief system and they become your truth and your reality and so then you're, you you know you act on it your behavior is related to what we believe so this young athlete she's so like her belief is that her stomach is so big and such a turn off and everybody's going to laugh at her she's not looking at the facts and where the facts are she's actually performing brilliantly at the moment and she's not looking at the fact that because of that she's getting lots of new sponsorship deals and you know and everything else and so i think sometimes it needs to be spelt out because they live in their head and and it's really hard them to break that down and it can be really difficult as well though when you are surrounded i don't know let's say you're in a triathlon club or perhaps you're in more of a squad environment and you see everyone else around you and it's really difficult not to compare yourself to others isn't it it is but i would say that i always say to everybody you can't compare yourself to anybody else because there's nobody else like you on this planet so comparing yourself to somebody else is futile. So again, it's about being able to help them see what's fact, what's reality. That's something coaches, I think, need to get a grip of because no two people are the same, no two genetics are the same, and no two bodies will respond in the same way. You know, if you have fueled correctly, if you are training at the right kind of intensity for yourself and you're making sure you're resting and your body's actually getting a chance to adapt because you're putting enough fuel in the system, your body will respond to that and you will get to the body composition that is right for your body. And sometimes you have to accept that's going to be different to the person you're stood next to at the start line. What about males and females? Because it is not just females that can have difficulties with their sort of eating habits, is it? No, not at all. Like, I do get male athletes. I don't get the same percentage, but it's definitely, I've definitely had several male athletes that come into the clinic. Particularly disordered eating, it can affect any gender, any age, you know, any level of sport. It, it, it can affect anybody. And in fact, if we go back to specifically like orthorexia, which I guess is, is kind of the term being used now for this disordered eating, 
um, there's probably a higher prevalence in men than there is in women. Yeah, because it's not always associated with body composition and body image. It's sometimes it's it's more about kind of um, obsessive compulsive disorder. It's kind of linked to that quite a lot. And when it comes to perhaps underfueling, mm. are there any signs that you can tell? Because I don't know, when I was really, really serious about triathlon, people would say to me, Helen, you're disappearing. You know, where are you? Like, you need to eat cheese, you need to eat chocolate. And I think from my point of view, I don't think I was ever necessarily intentionally mm. going down that route I think I probably did reduce the amount of carbohydrates I would have been having over lunch probably because I would have read things but then like and I think I look back now and I think I just was not fueling enough yeah so this is this is a quite a common thing is that I think a lot of individuals do not realize just how much fuel you need to train um, and especially carbohydrate, because it's been given such a bad press that so many people fear carbohydrate. So with red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sport, so it's when you're under fueling, um, there's two types. There's voluntary and there's involuntary. Now, involuntary red S is kind of sounds like what you were doing and that you just didn't appreciate how much fuel you needed. It wasn't a conscious decision to cut back necessarily. It was a just didn't realize it and sometimes that happens particularly when you're doing something like triathlon where you're doing quite a lot of high intensity training because you've got three disciplines you might find that you know you're doing one out of two high intensity sessions daily um whereas with runners like myself we might only have two or three high intensity sessions across the week so it's, it's slightly different but also when we do high intensity training it can suppress our appetite and there's like a lack in terms of our appetite kind of kicking in. And so sometimes um, unintentionally, you just don't have enough fuel in the system. And if this becomes chronic, then obviously it can it will affect the body in exactly the same way as someone who chooses to voluntarily not eat enough. So with voluntary red S, it is, I mean, this is where it, in my mind, it, it definitely is an eating disorder within sport because it's somebody who is consciously trying to restrict their energy intake while also training at a very high level um, with the, you know, the high output. And so there's just not enough energy in the system. So in both cases, there's not enough energy in the system. And, and that's the problem. And, and in terms of like the signs that you'll see, there's a mixture of things. I mean, physically, like we said already, probably one of the first signs for most women is their menstruation becomes affected. That doesn't mean they lose it completely sometimes. It might be that it becomes a bit lighter to start with, and then it might become erratic, and then it might stop altogether. Um, in men, you do see a decline in testosterone, but it, it has to get quite low before you start to notice any physical signs. But one of the biggest physical signs is that they they don't have their morning erectile function. So that's often a sign that testosterone testosterone has dropped. Um, so that's kind of one of the biggest things that we see, the, the biggest, most common sign. But other things that, that we are seeing a lot, particularly in clinic, we're seeing a lot of people with gastro gastric problems, so, so gastrointestinal problems, like very, very um, almost IBS-type symptoms. But actually, it's not IBS. It's the fact that there's just not enough energy in the system for the 
the gut to work efficiently and to work effectively. And so it starts to slow down as the digestion becomes very slow and sluggish. And so you end up with very similar symptoms to IBS, but actually it's not. It's it's a delayed gastric emptying. That's interesting. Um, and that's when some people might think, oh, I need to cut out gluten. Yes, exactly. You often get a depressed immune system. Now, you might not necessarily see that physically, but if we did bloods, you, we definitely see it on the, on the blood profile. So people, when they come to our clinic, we, we do blood. So we check hormones, thyroid function, um, and we check immune markers, and we check inflammatory markers. The other thing is that mood becomes affected because, again, when estrogen and testosterone are both low, it can affect their mood. Um, a lot of people just associate these hormones with reproductive reproduction, and um, actually they're really important for so many other things, including the uptake of serotonin in the brain. So often right. you can kind of find that you're quite low in mood, and that's also another reason why you almost get that exercise dependency. Because if you think about when we do exercise, we release dopamine, we get endorphins, we feel good. But if you're not producing enough serotonin naturally, then you know you, you need that hit. And so you, you, know, you look for it in, in different ways. So, you know, and then often other things are, for example, what we might find is that um, to start with, your performance may briefly improve briefly but then it often starts to stagnate and then eventually it starts to deteriorate as well um you may find that you get more niggles so you might find you get more like soft tissue ligament tendon issues and again that's usually related to the low low levels of estrogen and testosterone particularly um obviously in worst case scenario you might get a bone stress and a stress fracture, particularly if you've been chronically underfueling and it's affected your your bone density. So the picture's not great, to be fair. No. Um, if someone, I don't know, maybe if a coach is listening to this and, and they perhaps think that they've got an athlete who is underfueling, or maybe someone's listening to this who relates to some of the symptoms that you were saying there, is there anything on a practical level that can be done? So one thing I'd say is um, Dr. K and I, so Dr. K is um, one of the leading endocrinologists in this field of REDS. With the support of BASES, we created a website which is called Health for Performance, so Health Number 4 Performance. And it's got some really, really, really good information on there for athletes, coaches, health professionals, parents, um, carers. Like we've done sort of a a tab for each um, category. And so if you're an athlete and you're worried that you think this might be you, then you can go to your GP and you can take this page with you and you can say, look, this is this is me. And then there's there's like a process for the GP to do in terms of bloods and, and everything else. And then they can help sort of get the physical side of, of it going. And and it's about getting your body back to a place where it's balanced before we can then start picking you up. And again, making you that sustainable athlete. It's like it's never about stopping people it's about giving them different strategies to cope with yeah and I think if you if you had said to me uh Helen you're really not like (laughs) you're not getting enough fuel in you know literally look look at this this is what you are doing and this is really what you would need I would have been like ah okay yeah I can go off and do that yeah and and you know we have again like in our clinic we probably have 10% of people who are voluntary uh, involuntary reds 
but I'm sadly 90% are probably voluntary reds. So um, it's a bit more, <laughs> takes a little bit more work, shall we say. And then Rini, I just wanted to touch on when an athlete is injured um, and perhaps can't train or maybe even over a period of holidays or something like that or the off season, that can also be a really difficult time for for some athletes and their relationship with food yeah so the classic thing that happens if you get injured particularly or you can't train to the level that you want to is that everybody starts to restrict their intake because they worry about their weight or they worry that they don't need as much and I think it's really important to remember two things one that our body needs fuel regardless of how much training we do anyway and actually the fuel we need to stay alive is a lot more it makes up the highest percentage of the fuel we require compared to the training we do. And two, it's a period of time. It's not forever. And again, I think what people do, especially if they're kind of that fairly obsessive, compulsive mindset, we become fixated on the fact that we can't do something. And that then becomes, again, you know, that, that assumption of, well, if I can't do it, I'm not going to be as fit and I'm going to put on weight. And, and then you're anxious mind runs away with you and you become catastrophic um but it's a period of time you know and and actually the other thing i would say is that our bodies are very 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 good at regulating our bodies are actually very very good at telling us what we need and what we we want it's just that we have um avoided um listening to internal cues because we have so many external cues now we have so much information being thrown at us all the time particularly with social media you know there's there's everybody telling us to do other things and we should be drinking this and eating that and being more like this and and doing what this athlete's saying and and it's like we forget that our bodies can tell us what we want and if you look at toddlers and babies they often know exactly what they want and they might go through periods of time where they just eat cheese and then they go through periods of time with just eating bread because that's what their body needs at that moment so you know I always say that if you are injured firstly remember that an injured body still needs fuel to repair and often I find that when people over restrict the injury takes so much longer to repair from because there's just not enough again not enough energy people tend to over restrict and overcompensate so as much as possible listen to your body and trust it because it will tell you what to do like I notice if I don't because of my work schedule because it's just all over the place um if I have three or four days where I can't train because physically cannot do something because I'm on the road actually by day five I'm just not I'm just not as hungry as I would be if I was training and then as soon as I start running again or going to the gym again within a couple of days my appetite's back again because I'm hungry again because it's like actually I've done I've done a lot so my body's asking for more fuel and I see that like I I can actually notice it you know like I have some days where I've maybe I've gone out for a run in the morning and I'm just like I'm starving all day and I just want to eat all day and then when I haven't run for three or four days I'm like I'm just not hungry I just don't feel as you know that kind of when I say I'm not hungry I, I am hungry but not in that ravenous manner that I can't contain my appetite if that makes sense yeah so i think like try as much as you can to listen to your body rather than listen to what you feel you should do and and remember that our bodies do need fuel like we can't survive without it you know we can't 
you know, you don't need to punish yourself. You're already struggling because you've got an injury. And I think also ask yourself, why have you got that injury? Is it because you've underfueled and overtrained in the first place? You know, have you not given yourself enough rest? So there's always a reason why somebody becomes injured. Um, and it's not always about underfueling and, and, and overtraining, but usually it is. It's usually about lack of rest in most cases. Steph, I think that is what happened with oh, me. Oh, wow twice pretty much so run up uh, so the run up to Ironman UK and then again ahead of Ironman Wales I I, I think um, that probably not resting enough mm. probably not not fueling enough I don't think I was and I said it there in the interview and I I don't think that was necessarily purposeful um, I just think if someone had said Helen you're really not eating enough then I think I would have shoved more food in. Mm. For me, 2016 Ironman UK, I had a a bit of a stress fracture in my Achilles in the run up to it. It, it. Sorry, I should I should say it wasn't a stress fracture, but it was definitely. Mm, I had to go and check if it was a stress fracture. <laughs> so definitely um, Achilles injury there, and then the following year, yeah, in the run up to. I am in Wales. Oh, I had a real problems with my hip, and then afterwards, yeah, I was diagnosed with early signs of a stress fracture, and I, well, I could barely walk after it. And yeah, I just think all of these things contributed to that, um, and and it was rubbish, yeah. and I wouldn't want anyone else to go through it and it's horrible isn't it just a little bit is it is it something that it took you talking to Rini to for that really to trigger or did you start to figure that out you know in the cup in the in the years after Uh, no I think I've had figured it Mm. out um and I think I sometimes I don't know either I, I think I had been on the pill as well for five years so then the hormones would have been different wouldn't they as well and I, I don't know if any of that would come into it but yeah I, I honestly think there was probably a, a lack of fueling mm. going on I don't think it was completely conscious I think but there would be things you'd hear someone say about oh a fasted run or you'd see someone eating say a massive bowl of salad for breakfast or something and you think oh oh should 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 I be doing that I, I, mm. like or oh carbs aren't great you know you shouldn't be eating or just just reading things like that and and you pick up on it don't you and you think oh maybe I should shove a load more salad in with my lunch and and cut back a little bit on the carbs in that mm. lunch and then you're thinking no that's not right yeah. <laughs> not yeah. right uh, one of the biggest problems is everyone's an expert as well, aren't they? <laughs> Definitely. Everyone else is an expert. Everyone. But I would I would go to track and things and people would say, Helen, just eat a block of cheese. Really? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Helen, just eat a just eat a bar of chocolate, just eat a block of cheese. Get some wine in you. And people would say, Helen, you're gonna disappear if you get any smaller. But it wasn't I don't know. I just think I was in a real hamster wheel of training 
and not getting enough fuel in. Do, do you remember shaking those off, like laughing about those kind of comments or did, did some of them sting a little bit? Uh, because I think one of the things that people, you know, think about fat shaming, but there, there is such a thing as thin shaming or, or, you know, whatever term you want to call it. I know that I've probably summed that up very um, superficially, but do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. Um, did it sting? It probably plays on your mind a little mm. bit, because you because th- I remember I would just be thinking, it's not like I don't eat though. Mm. Like I am, I am eating, and I thought I ate quite a lot, mm. but I just don't. Well, I don't think it was enough. So did I feel upset by them? No, not really. I just thought, well, I am training a lot more than say three years previously when I wasn't into triathlon or four years previously when yeah I wasn't into triathlon I just would run because I could I'd do half marathons I'd do marathons but I didn't have this crazy you know six days a week of training and along with work and all that kind of lifestyle it just was foreign to me so then I guess I went from like a lot of people would I think Mm. Steph you know you get into triathlon you get you start to get better at mm. it and you take it more and more seriously and it becomes really important in your life. That is for sure. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that we've learned from all of these conversations is that you are not alone. Uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't um, come across these kind of concerns or issues um, at some stage, uh, particularly during their triathlon career and I am so glad that you had that conversation with Renee Kylie all those months ago and well it was definitely a light bulb moment for her you can hear it in her voice when she was like what kind of devil woman have are you that's in it's in my head I didn't know I'd be talking about this (laughs) but it was it was a light bulb moment for you in that you knew straight away that this was something that you wanted to pursue in terms of having a conversation. You had a platform. You knew that we had a platform. We both want the same things uh, from what we do. And here we are. Yeah. And and as we've said all the way through, Steph, if, if we help one person to realise that they're not alone or one person to just chat with someone else or one person to, you know, reach out for help or one person to get in touch with you or I and actually say my goodness that really helped me then you know I think I think jobs are good and but even being able to do this would really not be possible without the likes of Jodie, Renee, Cody, Felicity trusting us Mm. with sharing their stories and being brave enough as well to probably go back through a really shite time in their lives and some horrible feelings and behaviors and things and yeah be brave enough to talk about it in the hope of helping others and I think they have all said that as well that well if it helps one person that's a really good thing for sure and a great opportunity to thank uh, everyone who has shared their story, um, thank you for for sharing your platform with us as well. We're stronger together, that is for sure. 
<laughs> you have been listening to the Healthy Body podcast series with the Inside Trishoe and Wits Up. Helen, where can they find us? How can they help the Inside Trishoe and Wits Up continue to bring great content? Find us on social media at witsup.com and at Inside Trishow. If you have enjoyed part one and part two, then please let us know. Get in touch with us. If you don't subscribe already to our podcasts, then get on it and leave us reviews. Honestly, that is so, so helpful. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, please go and do that. You can find out more about Steph and about me. So Steph at witsup.com and me, I'm over at insidetrishow.com. And then one of the most lovely things that you could do to show your support for this mini series is to become patrons of our podcasts. So you can head to patreon.com forward slash wits up or and and let's not say or let's go and (laughs) patreon.com forward slash inside try show. And it really does help us to put out episodes like this they take a heck of a lot of time and yes we do it because we love doing it but equally we do need to make a living and survive as well so true helen again thank you so much um it's been such a pleasure working working with you and i think this is just the start of some really great collaborations uh between wits up and the inside try show watch this space steph it's been a pleasure thank you so much